0: Okay, that's a standout track from one of my favorite bands. 38 years these guys have been together making great music. It's a song called Sweat, which kicked off their first official LP back in 1983. And uh we are honored to have on the show once again Joe Kelly Radio. The great system, the system with David Frank and Mike Murphy. How you doing, fellas?
1: Great. Doing great job.
0: Yeah, thanks to come out and uh, we haven't spoken in a few years and a lot has changed with everybody, but you guys are still making fantastic music and uh, what what's it been like since since March or whenever you guys kind of went into the, the hub or the bubble?
1: Well, it's been okay. You know, it's kind of just uh, a lot of opportunity to write more music.
0: <laughs> <How's that? laughs> Right. And you both have home studios, right?
2: Yes. Yep. Yes, we do. We work on, but you know what we miss is, you know, we would go East Coast, West Coast every mm-hmm. month or so, uh, you know, to work on the record. So right. kind of missing that where, right. you know, we would, you know, we send the music back and forth to each other. But then we get together to kind of refine it a little bit um, right. and kind of talk each other through in the same room, which is always, you know, it's always great. It's always, I'm not, it's always a little better.
0: Yeah. And, and Dave has been out in California. How many, how many years you've been out there?
1: Um, I've been out here for a long time, actually, since the early nineties. Oh, okay. But, but we've, but like Mike said, we'd go back and forth. You know, I went to New York a lot. He came, he'd come out here. So.
0: Right. So was, uh... You got, you guys both, both chose the two most expensive places around, right? To
2: live. Um, yeah, I suppose, but- yeah.
0: <laughs> so you're talking about music and, and the, the great new track, the video that's up on YouTube, People Get Up from the System, featuring yeah. uh Sandra St. Victor and Grandmaster Melly Mel. Talk about you guys collaborating on this, and, and it really hits for times like these.
1: Right. Yeah, well, I mean, Mike, go ahead.
2: Okay, so um, we actually got together, I guess it's like about two years ago, Dave, in L.A., because like I said, we would I would go to L.A., he would come to New York, and we would get in the same room and at least, you know, kind of start, start cooking up some cooking up material. Dave would, would, might have a few tracks that he already started and play, play them for me. And, um, you know, I'd be out there probably for a week, and over the course of that week, I'd add ideas to what he started and we'd get together to kind of collaborate. So this was one of those from two and a half years ago. And um, at the time it was like a lot of the civil unrest the Black Lives Matter movement were reaching a peak. And um, I kind of think it was around the Michael Brown era. I'm not exactly sure what the events were, but I was watching TV and I was listening to the track and automatically the idea started popping into my head um, not just as uh, as adding fuel to the fire of black lives matter but um, to bring about a sense of awareness that we have to come together to end this and um, and kind of the disparities and the discrimination that goes on in the eyes of you know of of police and in the eyes of people not understanding the vulnerabilities of of people who, who get stopped for a broken traffic light and end up dead mysteriously. So, you right. know, part of what David and I have always done, and it's strange because recently we had a conversation about race and mm-hmm. I'm telling you for 35 years, we've never had the conversation. We just right. never have. It's never, it's never come up. And um, it, it got me thinking that, you know, it's it's kind of always been there. But, you know, and I talked to a lot of musicians that, you know, you create love songs and you're kind of afraid to discuss anything that's out of the realm of, you know, you just want to be safe a little bit with the music. Not that the music is safe, but the message is safe. Right. And I think we'd had enough of that. And it was time to say something Um, that had to do with social discourse.
1: No, I was going to say, you know, it is, it is, I think that Mike, you know, to, to a certain extent, there was, there is a feeling on with, with many people that, you know, that things, that things are good, that you, that in your mind, you don't, that, that race, that race isn't really considered, you know? And then of course, you know, over the last few years, it's sort of been, there's sort of been permission to just, uh, maybe access the, 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 what I consider the worst part of people. And it's, it's sort of like been sort of given permission, tacit permission that that's okay. And it's not. And of course, there is still a lot of racism. And so it's good for, you know, Mike and I have worked together for years and it's, we're working on music together and it's doesn't, we never, we, it's not as if we never, you know, came across, had situations where all of a sudden it was like, Oh, you know, I remember one time it's like, well, you know, he doesn't, that, that guy someone in the music business. He's not really that crazy about us because he doesn't really want a white person involved in black music or, or vice versa, obviously is mostly the case. So, but may, but most of the time we just kind of like went, Oh, the heck with it. You know, we're just, we're just doing this. I mean, this is what we're doing because this is the modern world and we are, we are the modern world. And that was part of the incentive maybe to, you know, Mike always says to call the group the system and say the system is usually considered a bad thing. But we are the the new way of doing things where it, where it just doesn't, things like that don't matter. And we work together to make better, to make music, to make music better.
0: And I think it's really interesting, your your backgrounds musically, Dave, you, I know you you were playing classical music growing up in but you were really into funk music, a white guy getting into the funk world. And, and Mike, you played in all these funk R&B bands, but you were always looking to, to England and electronics and, uh, you know, mostly white world over there. So you guys brought it together, to make the system. It's a really cool story
1: that I think to a certain extent we go, oh, yeah, yeah, that, yeah, that's true. And it's and it's true because it's a story and stories are good to have but we always kind of went you know we're, we're just going beyond the story we're just we're, we're really making music it's not this is not just about this isn't about just two people okay we're different so we're going to decide to work together no it's just right oh we want to make music together that's all it's you know to an extent yeah
0: so so for a band like the system you know, getting together and working together, you guys in 82, and then uh, the same kind of story, I mean, Mike talked, we were talking off air about the game has changed. Do you think it'd be that difficult to get noticed and and become a a major act that quickly today?
2: Absolutely. I I think uh, it would be. Well, here, let's put it this way. Artists that are... Big today, they didn't start yesterday. They started Mm -hmm. five years ago building up their following, releasing, you know, just releasing music in a different way. So it's not like the 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 largest happened overnight for even a lot of the artists that we see now. I mean, they've been digging five, six, seven, eight years, just building up everything. Same thing we were. We were out there grinding, we just didn't have a record. But we were grinding, and you know, we had the intention of making records. So, you know, we'd have to have started this new record like five years ago, right? <laughs> Basically, right. because you know, as we're, and as we're seeing now, how important it is to build up a platform and followers on that platform, because it's part and parcel to how you distribute it and play and and um, reach get reach with your music. You know, in some ways we're left a little we're left a little bit out of the pocket because, you know, when when we started out, we were playing a lot of bands. we were meeting a lot more people. We were a lot more, you know, reachable. And and we came up kind of in a generation where you kind of maintain some sense of privacy. You know, you didn't you didn't broadcast every meal you ate you didn't broadcast, you walking your dog, you didn't book. Right. And now you kind of have to do that in order to get the kind of reach you need to really get your music out there. They say you got to put yourself out there, which is kind of what, you know, we found to be a little bit different than what happened during our heyday.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I, I have to agree with that. And then also add that, you know, there's, I think that there's, even, even then and now, there's exceptions to every sort of convention of thought about how you achieve, quote, success. And I think back then, there were also many, many bands trying for years to be successful. Now, the, the, uh, the, the actual real thing that you really need, of course, is magic in the music. And- mm-hmm in a in the form of a hit song, in the form of actual notes and melodies and beats that move people emotionally and physically. And there were many people who were trying to build up fan bases in the ways that were available at that time. And we were, that was really our story at the time. Although we individually were working on music all the time and most most people that are making music have been doing it for years they're trying to get better at their craft and then they have maybe a moment or sometimes more than a moment when they achieve it and they and we had that moment and so that our story about like you know recording a song one night before we went in the uh, doing writing a song the night before then being in the studio for one day and then getting a record deal the next day and having the song on the radio in a month was a rare thing back then. Those kind of things still happen now in the form of, um, I know that my, my, uh, my daughter's boyfriend has a song that has he wrote the track to, someone else wrote a melody to it, and it has gotten 17 million uh, streams on Spotify in a few weeks. Wow. So, and this is a person who's 14 years old who lives in a rural area and made a video in his bedroom. So, wow. and it's but it's an unusual piece of work. It's not really a music. It's not mm-hmm. about the music. It's about the, the somewhat about the the visual and about and about the uh, amateur quality of it that is just perfect for the moment. Right. You know. So there are, there are many exceptions to the rule now and then there are there were then too so i guess that's my only point and the missing thing of course the, the most important thing is having something magical in the music itself
0: yeah always nice to speak with these guys david frank and mike murphy of the system one of my all-time favorite groups and they're making new music people get up we're going to play that a little later into the interview right now but we're going to go to uh your last full-length release, which was an outstanding record, System Overload, and the track is mm. No Fear of Flying, which, uh, great, you know, tell us about this track. This is one of my favorite ones off, off this cut, off this record. No Fear
2: of Flying. Yeah. Uh-huh. David, you go in.
0: Yeah. You know,
1: No Fear of Flying is like, it's, it's just a fantastic track, you know, just someone, I mean, just... Someone on, on, uh, on Instagram, um, I can't remember the person, Mike, I know you've seen this video before, also, is like doing oh, kind really? of like, I guess, a thing where he's singing it in the car and, you know, I guess maybe it's for TikTok. I don't know, whatever, whatever TikTok is, I'm not exactly sure, but it is something. So there's, you know, he's singing the song Fear of Flying in the car and it just reminded me how, you know, No Fear of Flying is has like a little bit of the character of don't disturb this groove and other mm-hmm. songs of that type where we that we've had even you're in my system and I can't take losing you from the experiment album um, right. where they have where it has a chorus that can just go on and on and feels like you're kind of floating freely somehow above everything and feeling euphoric and it does it achieves that feeling.
0: So let's give a listen to it right now and also give you the particulars. You can go to the systemmusic.com and the new track. You you can download it from Bandcamp, I think?
2: Yes, Bandcamp.
0: Okay. Any other spots for the new track people get up the system?
2: Well, you know, that's another thing we learned, that it takes a while once you release things for it to be available on all the platforms. So at this point now today as we sit, it's available on all music platforms.
0: Okay, cool. So uh we'll get into it right now you also can get this whole uh release system overload lp and this is the track called no fear of flying david frank and mike murphy coming back in just a moment on joe kelly radio thank you joe that's no fear of flying from the system mike murphy and david frank join us and I'm, i'm really honored to have them that's from system overload here on joe kelly radio and you know i've told the guys this before but you know I got into radio, I got out of high school about June of 1982. And I think right around that time you guys released It's Passion. And that's when I got into mm. DJing, right? The summer of 82, and it just, you know, your music, I gotta thank you once again. It just so influential on uh, my musical career behind, behind the mic.
1: Wow. Oh, that's great.
0: Yeah, and being in New York City, I went to NYU that September. And, you know, we talked about it. It was just blowing up on all the stations there and Frankie Crocker and.
2: Yeah. Right? I mean,
0: yeah, you, I mean, you think back to those days and it, it must be amazing how we talked about, let's first talk about its passion. Maybe that'll build the story up again about okay. you sure. guys recorded it. And the next day we're hustling the song and let's talk about that. Okay. Um, You know i'll
1: start and then mike and continue you know the track the what what had what had happened in the previous like six months before that um you know i was playing on a lot of record i was playing with a lot of different bands including madonna who was not famous at the time you know yet Mm -hmm. um and a lot of other bands and playing synthesizer and piano on you know and doing sessions um for people like lenny white uh the drummer from return to forever you probably know him from and um anyway so but i got you know a hold of a uh i bought a dsx an oberheim dsx which is a sequencer which is basically like musicians out there know logic logic uh logic which is uh logic or ableton it's like mm-hmm. a a sequencer but it doesn't have it didn't play drums it just played uh, MIDI, it didn't have, there wasn't MIDI. It actually did it with control voltage and gate, but it did actually, you could actually play something and it would play back what you played on the instrument, not a recording. So I got that. And then I finally got my hands on a DMX, which was a drum machine, which went with it along with the Oberheim uh, OBXA. And I had a Mini mode and I made a, a track. I started making tracks and I did a couple of them before, but then I focused all my energy on one track and I had some studio time and Madonna was going to sing. Madonna came up with a melody for my track, which I spent by the way, a month, you know, writing. Mm -hmm. Um, It wasn't quick. And I, and I spent a long time doing it. And then the night before we were going in the studio and Madonna had a melody, a melody, she was singing on it and lyrics. And the night before we were going in the studio, she called me and said, Frankie. She called me Frankie. I can't do this because my friend, Steve Bray, who maybe, you know, Steve right. Bray too. Yeah. He's a very good friend of mine now too. So, and Mike, so uh he, you know, he's, he's upset that I'm going to do this with you. And so I'm, unless he can co-produce it, you know, I don't want to do it. So I said, okay, well, I don't want to do that because I want it to be all electronic. Mm-hmm. I got off and I went, okay, well, that's it. You don't have to do it. And so I called. Then I thought, who am I going to get? I need to get. And I remembered Mike Murphy, who I had heard singing um, and was just blown away by. So I so I called him and and he said, "Okay, I'm going to take the day off from work tomorrow and I'm going to do this. And we went down to the studio and I played
2: him the track and then go ahead, Mike. (laughs) Well, yeah. So he called me over the night before, actually, and said, hey, I have this track but the catch is we got to record it tomorrow. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I was like okay. <laughs> so not knowing, you know, I knew David because um we initially met through the band Clear when right, they were right, looking right. for a keyboard player and I I was like uh, my mentor was this guy or is this guy Dennis King who was a mastering engineer at Atlantic. So he said, "Hey, I'm I'm going to see this singer. Was it Andy Lerner? David Andy Lerner, the wrote, singer? Yeah. Yeah, I want to go see this singer, Andy Lerner. Come with me. So we went to this club on the Upper East Side, I think, Upper West Side. And um, I just kept noticing David's playing. Um, And I knew that Clear needed a keyboard player. So I was like, Dennis, I mean, that, you know, the keyboard player is really good. Maybe you should try to get him for Clear. And as it turned out, um, David ended up as the keyboard player on the road with the group Clear, where I was the road manager and sound man. So I didn't know anything else about the type of music or the style of music he was playing. Um, So when he invited me to the studio, I was really shocked and surprised because it was exactly the style of high energy electro um, that I'd been listening to kind of coming out of the UK. And he had it all there. And I was like, this is this is amazing. So right. I knew then I, this was the moment to actually put my whole thing on the table. And I just started singing like a little chorus, a little hook. I didn't have any of the other words or any of the other parts. He was like, all right, that's great. That's great. I mean, this happened in like the course of maybe 15 minutes, Yeah. Um, okay. probably seven or eight o'clock at night. So that's great. That's great. So finish writing it. And then, I'll pick you up tomorrow. And we'll go to the studio. I don't know why he had the confidence that I could actually write. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't know. Melody, The lyrics. And right. I mean, if you know, in times of passion, this was a song with with moments. This was mm-hmm. a song with interludes. This was a song with an intro. And I mean, it's, it was it, yeah. a lot going on in there. <laughs> but, but I guess I had been writing that song my whole life because it just yeah. it poured out of me. It just poured out of me that night, and the next day, he picked me up. We went to the studio. We recorded it that day. Did the vocals, the background vocals, mixed it. I think we left the studio like I don't know, one or two o'clock in the morning. Yeah, maybe even later. Later. Um, yeah, I got home. Yeah, because I kind of remember it was kind of dawn, right? For yeah, why? Wow. Um, so at the time I lived in my mother's basement, and I had you know full band gear and a and a really good sound system down there. And mm-hmm. I remember putting the cassette on and just saying to myself, this is it. This is, this is no one can deny this. This is it. So that morning, um, I called Dennis King and uh, I met him at Atlantic Studios um, on Broadway and what is it, 59th Street, 60th Street yep. at yep. the Mastering Studio. And he cut three acetates, mm-hmm. one of which I still have. And... I had met two or three people in the record business because of my work with Clear and because I was kind of more in the industry and meeting people all the time. Um, I met Jim Delahant and uh, Ray Caviano. So they were two people that I knew who had said to me, if you ever come up with something, you know, give me a call. I'd love to hear it. So I called them that morning about 10, 11 o'clock. They said, sure, come over. Both of them were very receptive. Uh, First I met, Ray Caviano, whose office was just down the street from Atlantic Records, uh, Atlantic Studios. Um, so I went to see him. I played him the acetate. He said, oh, I love it. I love it. I want to put this out. I said, OK, well, I have one more meeting and I'll get back to you and let you know. So that meeting was with Jim Delahan. God rest. God rest his soul. He passed away um, earlier this year. Oh, um, so I went to Atlantic Records at The Rock went upstairs into the office. He said, oh, sure, come in, come in, come in, play me, play me what you have. So I played him about 30 seconds of it, and he said, hold on just a minute, hold on. So he goes into the back to a door, and out comes a giant of the music business who I had respected for a long time because he was the youngest president in the history of Atlantic Records. You know, he signed Led Zeppelin, Cream. He, he signed so many of the big rock bands that I was enamored of. Um, and he comes into the room. He sits down in a chair um, with his back facing me. Um, he puts the record on. And about a minute later, he turns around with this big, giant smile on his face. And he said, you've got yourself a record deal. So I go downstairs. I'm like, I'm blowing up with excitement inside. I go downstairs to a phone booth. And I call David. And then, by this time, it's probably what? One o'clock, 1230? I said, Somewhere. David. I said we have a record deal. Now we didn't even have, we didn't even have a name. We hadn't thought that part out. Um, yeah. So that's how quickly it happened for us.
1: And then it was on the radio in three and a half weeks.
0: Yeah. Now, now, who was Frankie Crocker the first one to break it in, you know, major yes. market? Yeah. Okay.
2: Yes, Frankie Crocker.
0: Yes. Yeah. You know, we're friends with uh, Chris Jasper from the Isaac Brothers. Yes. Oh, yeah, Yeah. You know, every time he they come to the studio his, his wife margie she was the music director at bls i don't know uh-huh. if ever met his wife.
2: Oh. i remember I her about, name i remember her yeah. name yeah
0: yeah yeah so margie, uh, margie yeah and i because i mentioned frankie crocker she goes oh you know i used to be the music director at bls i said thank you because there was so much great music coming out <laughs> right and yeah oh, and it was yeah. a
1: promotion since we're mentioning names there was a guy named juggy gale who was a okay. promotion guy who took it
2: Gale, yeah. Didn't your Dougie. uncle know him or something, David? What was well, your
1: he, he was actually he actually worked as a promotion guy when my aunt Mildred was working for Irving Berlin in the late 40s. And wow. he was that old then in the eighties. Wow. He was like he was like almost 80 years old and he was still promoting wow. dance records and he would show up at wow. the dance clubs, Paradise Garage, at five in the morning. Yeah, <laughs> this guy was nuts. He was 80 years old.
0: And what is totally nuts about music? Juggy. What, was he built like a jug? No,
2: he was this oh. little well, was, this little guy. Was, when when he, was what was he like five foot two, maybe? Yeah, yeah like just a little <laughs> on a good day <birthday laughs> in heels. <laughs> no. Look look him up.
1: He had a he had a record label that actually did really well even after that. He oh, had yeah. this label, oh. dance label thing that he had. Anyway, yeah, so that's just an aside. But so yeah, that's I, the story of its passion, and then it became yeah. a big hit. In so, you know, so, the so I got asked.
0: I got asked Frankie this question: Did Madonna ever say, uh, "I missed out on a big hit"?
1: Yes. Oh, oh that's okay. right. She when I came when I came back when I dropped Mike off at his at his mom's house in Queens. We the studio we did it at was called Bolognese Studio. It was out in Long Island, and when I, d- I drove back in in the morning, like Mike said, it was the morning, and I drove back in, and. I stopped at the music building and um, which is the place where I had my, I had a loft that I shared and Madonna was living in the hallway. She she had not literally, she was borrowing quarters for apple juice. She didn't have anything. And she, and I played it for her in the hallway of the music building. And these hallways were like kind of cockroach infested. I don't know why we were, we were sitting on the floor. I remember. And she started banging her fist on the, on the floor and going, damn it. I can't believe it. I could have had a hit. You're going to, you guys are going to get a record deal with this. And this is before Mike called me. And then when I got home and I was playing, I was playing it for my, for my girlfriend, then he called me. And I was like, sure enough, we had a record deal. She was, yeah, she was upset that she hadn't done it, but it was nothing like, it might not have been a success. Mike is, you know yeah yeah mike, mike i mean, did it completely
0: differently than she right than she exactly been, like totally different so it's your song both of you guys nobody else's so yeah we're gonna get yeah. into it right now we're here at joe kelly radio mike murphy and david frank the duo known as the system they got into it in 1982 and are still here making great music and we'll talk a little later on about their new album which is uh gonna be coming out hopefully uh, very shortly or not too far off. But uh let's yeah. give it a listen right here. It's Passion, the system. Yeah. All right, another great song. That was the first hit from the system. It's Passion and uh was is also on the album Sweat. David Frank and Mike Murphy here joining us on Joe Kelly Radio. And um before we talk about what's going on today, 19 19- I believe it was, uh, 84. You guys produced a record for attitude. And did you guys produce it? Uh, you know, that's another great record. Was it because you had so many songs that, you know, obviously you couldn't put out two or three records a year. What was uh, the thinking behind that?
2: (laughs) Well, we kind of invented it. So once again, Frankie Crocker, Mm -hmm. he would always say on his radio show, We got the juice, right, David? Right, that's right. He did say that, right. Kind of a slogan. So just to to rewind the the pages, back then you actually could record and get a record out in a week. Now, yeah, you can do that now, but then then you could actually do that. If there was the slogan that people were saying on the street or if there was, you know, some kind of hook that was on another record that didn't make a hit, you could kind of, Cut it. So we made this song. David had a track and I used the we got the juice hook and um, we said, wow, you know, because Prince had his little offshoots. And I was like, we could do okay. that, too, David. We could do yeah. that. I was we like, we're going to we're going to make Attitude. Yeah, and right. um, we had we've been working with Cindy Mizell and Chris mm-hmm. Kello, who's a fantastic okay. keyboard player actually who toured with us and, you know, continues to be a friend, a great friend to this day. Um, So we put together this group with one single thinking that that would be it, but the single took off in New York. So they came back and said, Hey, you guys want to make an album, right? Dave, it was a similar situation.
1: That's right. We did that on uh, the label was, it was RFC. I think it was on RFC. Right, and and we had we had had by that time we had had. You're in my system was a big song on on BLS and all those stations too.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know so. what? I kind of I remember now. I piggybacked that because after we had a hit with this passion, Ray came, Ray came and said, "You owe me one. <laughs> you, you owe me a record because <laughs> that was supposed to be my record." He started beating his fist right, right. on the right. floor on the floor of the music building. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <No>. Right. <laughs> um. So that's and, how that and, came and about. And
0: uh, Cindy's one of the, the biggest studio musicians in New York, right?
2: Oh, tremendous, tremendous right. singer. And touring, you know, with mm-hmm. God, she's been she's been out with everybody. Pink Floyd. Um, wow, well, she's just a tremendous singer.
0: Mm-hmm. So the systems, Mike Murphy and David Frank join me here on Joe Kelly Radio. And we've been talking about uh the beginnings of the system and radio and become all this notoriety and um i wanted you know last last time you were on you guys were talking about you know you're working with prince and rick james on that tour and i was listening back to some of that and that that must have been incredible tours but a little strenuous at times right because you were for clear we're going back to clear david was in the band and, and mike you were road manager right what did that entail as road manager
2: well, I was, I was like road managing and doing the live sound at the concerts. Oh, so okay, wow. road managing is you do everything. You're on call, roadie, live sound. You're collecting the money. You're doing the payroll. You're directing them. I mean, literally, I cut my teeth and learned every part of the business. You know, I met all the promoters. I think it helped us at some point later because, you know. I knew a lot of these promoters. I knew a lot of, a lot of these, the real road guys, they've been doing it forever. So when we came on the scene, they were very helpful. You know, the, you know, the sound companies knew me. Um, they were very helpful. They, they really kind of guided us through it, particularly having never been in a, been a performer in a touring band. So, you know, there was this kind of camaraderie and also a lot of people rooting for me, you know, like, Cause I had been on road crews and these guys, a lot of them, you know, may have at one point wanted to be a musician and make records and stuff. So kind of vicariously through me, they had that experience. So we, right. we were lucky right. to get a lot of help from, you know, other people that we had met on the road.
0: So you guys yeah. were clear was the opener and then Prince and then Rick James, I think on the, the order on that triple bill, right? Yeah.
2: Clear was the opener. Prince and then Rick James, which was one of the greatest tours of all time. It really
0: was. Could you tell right away, like the second album, Prince Prince was going to be the great performer that he was?
2: Oh, yeah, he was tremendous. That tour was Mm -hmm. one of the best tours ever. Um, The competitiveness, you know, Prince with his small band and his six foot of stage (laughs) was able to light it up and really really give rick james a run for the money and you could you could tell you really could tell he was going to be a big star
0: right wow and rick james of course a legend in his own you know just you're right what a great tour it must have been
2: oh yeah it was it was amazing
0: so the systems right here david frank and mike murphy and you guys have been working on new music uh we're gonna you know in just a few moments get into people get up um What's working on this new record? I mean, it sounds exciting. You guys working on a lot of tracks and on both coasts, but what is it going to be? And you have a title too,
2: right? Yeah, well, the title is Time Stretching. And, you know, of course, there's a technical aspect of time stretching with music where you can take items of various tempo and stretch them to fit the framework of what you're doing now. And in a lot of ways it refers back to the way we make music. I mean, because we've been able to stretch our time making music from 1982 to today. Right. So it kind of encompasses the music that we started out with. And then, you know, as you know, if you followed our music, we've gone through eras where the music became more sophisticated and kind of we've developed, continued to develop the sound. So this record is a continuation of that idea.
1: Right.
2: And that's the way life can be.
1: You know, time stretching also like it, it kind of has a lot of meaning in terms of people about how time kind of folds over itself. And sometimes you can kind of think when when people go, wow, I remember whatever age you are, if you're in your 20s, you're going, wow, I just remember when I was like eight years old and I was in whatever. And it seems like yesterday. And that's exactly what it is with life. A lot of times and making music, you know, you may, you can make music for for years and it still has just as much meaning as it did and almost seems like it's just out of sequence you know going you know from from 18 from uh, 1983 to 2020 you know and then back to 1992 or whatever and just uh it's not necessarily all in sequence
0: so do you guys prefer you know you know for the latest you guys have been indie artists putting out the music yourselves as opposed to when, you know, you had to crank out a record every every year. And was it a lot more pressure back then? Or do you prefer it now?
1: Mm. Well, it was a lot more. Pre- it was more pressure then. But I think I would. I prefer to have the pressure. How about you, Mike?
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, listen, it's not just the pressure. Look, when you're it's trying to be. when you when, when you're making music, writing music, recording the music that in itself is like a full-time job. So now right. presenting the music, getting it performed, getting it licensed, all of this, the ancillary stuff that goes along with making music and getting it out to the public. Wow, that's a whole other realm that a lot of times you kind of take for granted, to be honest. Um, we never really got... We never really had a lot of pressure from the record company because we were doing something so unique. They really couldn't figure out how we were doing it. I mean, you know, it took a few years for other bands to come along and do it in a similar way in terms of the technology, but they basically kind of left us alone. They gave us money and said, okay, we like your record. We'd like to have the record by a certain date. So Mm -hmm. for me, I didn't feel that pressure. I think it's the same pressure we put on ourselves now to always kind of outdo ourselves and make the next better record. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but I definitely, I definitely hope we can find a partner <laughs> to help yeah. do that distribution promotion motion piece. Cause it right. takes a lot of energy.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, you know, the system longevity, this, I, I guess it's 38 years together making yep. music mm-hmm. and still going strong and, uh, before we get into to the newer cut, I wanted to play something from the second record, which which I love as well. Experiment. Perfect. Experiment. I want to make it feel good, which kicks off the record. And uh, we'll come back and speak once again to David Frank and Mike Murphy of this system right here on Joe Kelly Radio. All right. That is from the Systems Experiment record. Came out in 1984. I want to make it feel good. Mike Murphy and David Frank join us. And uh, they're great, good great guys. And they've been on the show uh, and it's always an honor because they're, you know, they're one of the cornerstones of my musical upbringing um, since the get-go. So uh, let's talk about, uh, oh, before I get into that, I want to give you give you some insight. Uh, we started telling people this is going to, we're record, pre-recording this, but it's going to be up on our site at a, at a certain day in a couple of days. But musicians have been like texting or on social media coming out and they're happy you guys are on again. Musicians, so you guys are, really re- respected in the business and i got to say, say what's up to Reggie Washington basis from new york hey and uh you know everybody's excited so you you guys probably hear that through the industry right your influence on musicians
2: yeah we get a lot of people saying they can't wait
0: <laughs> <laughs> right here what we yeah. picked up right
1: right and, um, there's there's been many many people that have that have come to us and said um you know, that they, that they became musicians actually from, mm-hmm. from, you know, after, from being inspired by us, which is a great thing.
0: And David, I know, I know you're a big fan and uh, of Bernie Warrell and George Duke, two of the greats who, yeah. who were on our show and passed away. And yes, um, you, you had a chance to talk with Bernie, right? You guys met up uh-
1: Yes, I did. I I did. I met up with him at the Nam Show. That's right. We must have talked about that last time we were on. And I think so. and not only yeah, and that was a. And when I talked to him, he said, "I said hi. Uh, you know, uh, I've always wanted to meet you. You know, you're like my idol. I copied all the all the things that you played." And and he went and he said, "Oh, that's nice." I said, "I'm David Frank from the System." And he went, "Don't disturb this group. And he started oh, saying wow! <laughs> you're in my system, it was great. I mean, it was such a. Because Bernie Worrell was like the guy, you know, Parliament Funkadelic. I would just sit there by the, you know, looking at the speaker and trying to figure out all the notes that he played and on everything. And,
0: yeah. Yeah. I told and, you that I, I might've told you this, the biggest mistake I made in my radio career was when Bernie, he brought, came up from New Jersey with like three, four keyboards, his keyboard tech. And I only had, he only played like one, one and a half minutes on the keyboards because, well, we, I was happy Chris France and Tina Weymouth for the Tom Tom plug came in because yeah. they're, you know, wow. they're, they're friends, but I could have had Bernie do a mini concert in the studio.
1: Oh, my God. He was such a great musician. By the way, George Duke lived in Topanga, which is where I live. Topanga is oh, right wow. near Malibu in L.A., you know, wow. L.A., California.
0: Yeah, he came on the show because Jeff Lee Johnson, I don't know if you know Jeff, played guitar in his band. Uh, uh he, he passed away, and we did a tribute, and George came on, and George passed away like three, four months after that. Oh man. Yeah, well, Great guys. Yeah. Great guys. So let's talk about what's going on today. Um, Time stretched in the LP, but the single people get up, which is really moving. You've got some special guests on here, Sandra St. Victor and Grandmaster Melly Mel. Talk about your affiliations and including them on this.
2: Okay. So it's it's odd because um, actually before I was a road manager with Clear, (laughs) I was a, a sound man on a tour on the tour with grandmaster flash and the furious 5 and the sugar hill gang and the sequence we did oh, yeah. wow. a yellow school bus tour of the south now i don't know <laughs> what year it was it must have been because it was before um, it was before grandmaster flash and furious 5 blew up with uh, what was it the, the message yeah. the message the message yeah i don't know what year that came out but it was out, but it was just starting to, it was just starting to percolate. So the Sugar Hill gang had a full, full on tour bus and Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five. We were literally in a yellow school bus with hard, <laughs> seats, hard seats and that door that the bus driver opens with the swinging arm. <laughs> I'm serious. I'm serious. Right, right. So, um, so we're on the road and. What was great for me was I was getting paid a weekly salary, right, for the gigs, Mm -hmm. per gig. Right. Um, And Sugar Hill Gang would tip me $100 to make sure they were louder than Grandmaster Flash and Furious 5 – and Grandmaster Flash and Furious Five tipped me a hundred to make sure they were louder than the Sugar Hill gang. <laughs> so, so now I'm wow. from I'm from Jamaica, Queens. It's like, you know, it's not really, it's not so ghetto. Like it's right. not, it's it's very civilized, you know what I'm saying? Um mm-hmm. and and these guys were a little rough around the edges, you know, from Newark, New Jersey, Plainfield, you know, a little rough. So I can remember coming back home from the chore and having all this money, like a lot lot of money, you know, more than I probably had ever made in music ever. And just being very concerned that I might not make it. (laughs) I might not make it home, but they found out how much money I had.
0: Right. uh,
2: (laughs) That's where I first met Grandmaster uh, Melly Mel. So, flash forward, I don't know. About twenty something years, I did a single with um, Lloyd Harvey, a friend of ours who has a label out of the UK, and mm-hmm. he had gotten Melly Mel to do the rap. So we developed a relationship over time, and he always said to me, "Hey, if it, and, you know if the system ever does anything, you know, please don't hesitate to call me, man. I'd love to be on it." So I took him up on that, sent him the track, um, and he responded like two days later. Well, it took him like a week to actually respond and say he liked it. But I think maybe he hadn't listened to it or he was busy. But when he finally heard it, he immediately said, man, I love this. I'm on this. Give me a few days. And within a few days, he sent the rap. I don't even think I told David that I was going to send it to Melly Mel. But when I got it back and sent it to David, he just, he loved it. He loved it. Um, So that was kind of the beginning of it. And then Sandra St. Victor she was in the family stand. We were both signed to Atlantic. Both of her bandmates I had known for years, going back to when I was in playing in club bands. You know, Jeff Smith was in a band called Common Sense, and my band, we used to kind of be competitive because we were both horn bands. I'm going back a lot of years. And um, so I went to see uh, the Black Rock Coalition event at right. Lincoln Center in the summer, beginning of the summer. And um, I heard her sing, and I'm like, wow, what a voice! So, when I was we decided we were going to release this song, and I'm building on it, I was like, wow, I'd love to get Shaka Khan on this, but you know, that's a that's kind of a pipe dream. So, I Mm -hmm. thought, who else could do justice to this song and bring the fire it deserves? So, I reached out to Sandra, and at first, she was a little hesitant because she lives in the Netherlands and she gave me recommendations, you know, well, why don't you get Audrey? Why don't you get this one? I was like, "No, no, no, no. I need your fire on this. I need you. I right. need that rawness." She was like, "Well, you know, I'm not a soprano. I'm not, you know, I don't think." I'm like, "No, no. That's what I need. I need your edge." So, eventually she acquiesced, mm-hmm. and she sent me like a real quick demo she did, which was like perfect. I said, "Okay, just add a little bit more hot sauce, and we are good to go." So, That's what we ended up with. And she just did a fantastic job. I can't say enough about it. And then, you know, from that, we became like real, real friends. Like, I don't want to say pen pals, because now it's like we FaceTime each other. But we really have gotten in deep because she's always been on the forefront of Black awareness and social issues. And, you know, me, maybe not so much, but she's inspired me in a lot of ways. And it's been like a real, really wind in our sails as we continue to move this song forward.
0: I got a quick, funny story about Sandra St. Victor. She uh, she opened up for the time at, at Tramps years ago. Wow. And the concert started. And all of a sudden, it, they looked like they were a little unsure on stage. Like they were looking for somebody to the side of the stage. They're like, where's Johnny? Johnny Kemp was singing background for her. And uh, he was in the bathroom. So it started off there like Johnny's in the bathroom and he came on stage a little embarrassed, but it was pretty funny. <laughs> <laughs> and she tore it up the old tramps. Yeah. Yeah. So the new the new record time stretching. Uh looks like 2021 is gonna be another the system year, right?
2: Absolutely. Yep.
0: And and how many, yep. how many tracks you got in the can already are almost ready Ooh, to we-
2: go. I think we have like 10, 11 tracks already and, um, we're like fine tuning them now, but we should be hopeful. I'm hoping we're finished in January and that we can release it in early March because I'm realizing now how long it actually takes to get all the pieces in a row. Um, so we've, we've started with a lot of them, um, you know, getting the pieces, our ducks in a row, but it, it does take a lot to actually get the music out there.
0: Yeah. And I I think with, um, you know, vaccines and hopefully things are getting a whole lot better with the pandemic and everything. I think music is just going to explode. People are just ready to go out and, and do their thing. You've been cooped up too long.
2: Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Way too long. I mean, yep. get out of here.
0: Right. You, <laughs> you gotta get to get to the finish line healthy, right?
2: Yep,
1: yep. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Right. Support. There's a lot to do. Like, it's like, uh, you remember the idea of going out to dinner? yeah right remember that idea yeah. or uh, actually how about having we're gonna have a party
0: right right oh.
1: yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. <Wow. laughs> well people unfortunately still doing it that's the problem but i mean well most no people, no but i mean you know yeah yeah yeah. i know most people like us are taking care of ourselves yeah right 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 so i gotta thank you david frank and and mike murphy you guys are real special in my radio show, and, and um we're gonna continue to show you the love here
2: and okay, Joe. Joe, thank you. So Joe, much thank, you.
0: For the, pleasure. thank you for
1: having the system on your show. We appreciate
0: you, it. You got it. You guys always have a stage here. So you come back when the, the new record's ready to go.
1: All right. Okay, great.
0: So we're gonna get Have a wonderful one to, uh, day.